0: storm coming, and uh, I'm going to try to your get y'all, that's right, that's gonna, there's going to be some thunder with it, there's going to be some thunder with it too. Um, we're going to have an unofficial board meeting right now, no it's official, With five board members, uh, three or four of them are present, but uh, I believe First Assembly of God should send $1,000 to Project Rescue to help in that, uh, right there, don't you? So we'll make sure that we do that, so. Board members, here's your chance to say yay. All right. I didn't give you a chance to say nay. (laughs) I don't think there's any greater place that we could. So, isn't that right? If it was you and your family caught in that horrific life and lifestyle, you'd be grateful that somebody found you in a brothel. Come on, amen? I have a little bit of a affection when I, anytime a mention is made about Project Rescue because Project Rescue was founded by David Grant, David and Beth Grant, missionaries to India, and David Grant was the speaker at a Lot for the Lost Banquet in 1993 when I was present in southwest Little Rock when I made the decision to join the Assemblies of God and pursue licensing and ordination. he, he spoke with such conviction, his experiences of rescuing, and that, that was before Project Rescue. That was when they were simply ministering. They were trying to take children, abandoned children off of the streets of India, of Calcutta, India. And um, my heart just softened before God in that meeting, and uh, I made that decision. So anytime someone mentions Project Rescue, I know who founded it. I know the heart and the vision Brother David Grant actually spoke at this church in a missions banquet several years ago, and um, it's exciting to know that God has people who are willing to give themselves for the kingdom of God. Amen? I am so honored to be here with you today and to share with you the word, and uh, there there has been a presence of God in this sanctuary already, and, uh, and I appreciate your willingness to come out. Um, I want to go, there's a couple of other additional things I could say, but I'll just move kind of right into where we're going in the scriptures here today, and um, I want to ask you to begin turning to Second Samuel, chapter number 21. The one thing I do want to concur with is, Joe, is to, the, to the, the visitors. Now, we're a church family that we want to make sure that we are welcoming visitors. Isn't that right? But we are not a church family that is going to overwhelm you either. To the degree that you're like man sometimes i just wanted to slip in and slip out because sometimes that's what visitors are looking for initially so it's kind of a fine line how much affection do you show how much do you kind of just let people work out some things themselves so i just want to say but we are honored that you are here yes. that you've chosen to worship god with us today and we're we're excited for what this season of what god's doing at first assembly and so Thank you for being here today, and uh, we just pray God does something good in your heart because he 's doing some things in the lives of men and women uh, in our church family we 're grateful for it we 're looking forward to mother's Day next week yes. right we 're having a very special service we 've got some special things lined out time we get to to give honor to the ladies of our lives and our fellowship, we want to do so right with sincerity that's a terrible amen thank you yes we want, we definitely want to do so and uh Our families are going to be gathered in. And um, so I've got some free labor. I mean, I've got something special designed for my children when they come here. (laughs) If y'all would stand up. 2 Samuel chapter 21. Our daughter Alyssa is watching at home online. So I'm sending word to her. Alyssa went for a jog on Friday, Jojo, and stumbled over a stick and broke her foot. And so she's at home with a bell. (laughs) Sherry, mom, dad, she gets about one week of grace, and then we're going in there and laying hands on her, praying for her. This text right here is a text that's going to perplex you to a degree, and we're going to expound it afterward, but we're going to go ahead and read it. It's 14 verses. Sometimes I read it as I minister it, sometimes uh, in front of ministry, we're going to go ahead and read it in front today. It says then there was a famine in the days of David three years, year after year, and David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, "It is for Saul and for his bloody house, because he slew the Gibeonites." And the king called the Gibeonites and said unto them, "Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel; were are the remnant of the Amorites, and the children of Israel had sworn unto them." And Saul sought to slay them in his zeal to the children of Israel and Judah. Therefore David said unto the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? And wherewith shall I make the atonement, that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And the Gibeonites said unto him, We will have no silver nor gold of Saul, nor of his house, neither for us shalt thou kill any man in Israel." And he, being David, said, What ye shall that will I do for you? And they answered the king, The man that consumed us and that devised against us that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the coasts of Israel, let seven men of his sons be delivered unto us, and we will hang them up unto the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord did choose. And the king said, I will give them. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. But the king took the two sons of Risphah, the daughter of Ai, whom she, she bare, I, and I want to just be honest, I can't say that I can pronounce all these names accurately, whom she bare unto Saul, Armoni and Mephibosheth, And the five sons of Michael, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Barzillia, the (laughs) Methohelahithahite. And he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites. And they hanged them in the hill before the Lord. And they fell all seven together and were put to death in the days of harvest. In the first days, in the beginning of barley harvest. And Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, took sackcloth and spread it for her upon the rock from the beginning of harvest until water dropped upon them out of heaven and suffered neither the birds of the air to rest on them by day nor the beasts of the field by night. And it was told David what Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, the concubine of Saul, had done. And David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from the men of Jabesh-Gilead, which had stolen them from the street of Bethshan, where the Philistines had hanged them, when the Philistines had slain Saul in Gilboa. And he brought up from thence the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, and they gathered the bones of them that were hanged. And the bones of Saul and Jonathan, 14th verse will be our last verse, and the bones of Saul and Jonathan his son buried they in the country of Benjamin in Zila, in the sepulcher of Kish his father. And they performed all that the king commanded, and after that God was entreated for the land. It's a very unique passage of scripture, and we're going to ask the Lord to help us to identify and connect with it here today. And so would you take a moment to join your faith with mine, with Joe, with our other pastors, praying for the, of the Spirit of God to reveal His Word to us today. I thank God for His Word, don't you? So, Father, we come to, together as a fellowship humbled to be able to worship, humbled to be able to lift up hands or to fall prostrate, humbled to be able to connect with one another and fellowship with one another humbled to be able to hear testimony of what you're doing around the world, humbled to be able to give and be a part of it. But now, Father, for a few short moments, we consider Mary and Martha of old, Mary who sat at the feet of Jesus to hear his word, Martha cumbered about so many things. Help us to separate ourselves from Martha for just a few minutes. And may the spirit of Mary fall on us that we can hear the Word of God. Father, I, my heart's been heavy to share this message, meaning I felt I felt a, a burden, a weight of it. God, I pray today publicly what I prayed privately. Truly let preaching come easy in this house. God, in Jesus' name, and all God's children said amen and amen. Thank you. We do a lot of things here at our church family um, out of... Um, respect and connection to certain biblical things. I'm going to kind of highlight a couple of those here in just a moment because I will be looking for a certain response. Obviously, I have a visually aided message for you today. Certainly, it's not a visually aided message that's going to uh, use the best of sound effects and, uh, uh, you know, video and things of that nature that are available today, but it's just enough of a stimulus for your mind, to capture things. How many know it's important that you have that you use your imagination for positive things? To think, the Bible says, to think on these things. You know, I often say, and you've heard me say it many, many times, the theater in your mind is certainly the ability to contemplate. You know, I, I have a theater in my mind. I can even go back to when I was playing basketball. I never imagined myself missing a shot. I always made every shot in the Uh, anytime the game was late in my mind i was like michael jordan i was dropping the, the you know so in your mind you can be negative if you choose to but you can think on some things and ponder and create an imagination the bible says a man thinketh in his heart so is he Right? So, if you will allow the Lord, so I want you to, the reason I'm saying all that is I want you to begin to broaden. I want you to begin to think with me here upon some things. So, last few weeks, this is the final message along this line. Uh, as I began ministering, I, br- I ministered broken in heart four weeks ago today. Broken in heart, because Psalm 147, verse 3 says, God heals those who are broken in heart. I'm so grateful for God's ability to heal us from the wounds and the scars of the past, aren't you? Right, number two, then I move further, what about when you were broken in God's house? The sanctuary, the place where uh, it's to be a safe place, but, you know, as long as there are human beings functioning within the the corridors of God's house, the potential for hurt exists here as well, right? And you can be wounded in the house of your friend, can't you? Well, that's the third one, wounded in your house, wounded, you know, close to home, wounded amongst your own family. relational issues uh, abandonment things that's what i preached last week i've gone back and i've listened to every one of those messages and, and 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 i can honestly say i agreed wholeheartedly with the doctrine that was shared i honestly believe that the sovereign grace of god can heal us in our most innermost being and you don't have to function in a state of brokenness you don't have to live and be crippled like mephibosheth but there could be healing in your life and you can develop a new pattern of living i believe that with all my heart you could you could have been raised in the most dysfunctional home where there's contention and strife but you know when you come to god in christ the bible says that uh old things pass away and all things become new there's an expectation that god places upon us and god empowers us to produce change doesn't he right? And so let's take a moment here before we begin to develop this text here. Let's think about scripture for just a moment. I'm grateful for the word of God. I'm like you. There are times I question things that are happening and I wonder where they fit in the overall scheme of the divine will of God. I can honestly say that there's a lot of things that are happening certainly across the culture, but not even the culture of America, but across the world that, that you know, I, I don't have the answer for, but, the, but I will say this, that I'm able to for a, a period of time to move away from that and to just get in the word and identify with the Word, and let the Word get inside me. And when it does, I'm telling you to always list my countenance. I believe that the Word of God, the Scriptures from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, I believe it is the breath of God. It is God-breathed. It's got the life of God in it. It's contained in it. And when I read it and meditate upon it and study it, it releases God's life inside me deep calls to deep. My spirit is renewed. My my spirit is emboldened, is strong. How many of you know when you're strong in spirit, you can do anything for the glory of God? You can be anything as long as your spirit is strong. And then my mind gets renewed. Now, the mind is unique. The mind can be carnal or spiritual. Are y'all out there? The mind can have a lot of negativity, and things can happen, and you can ponder and meditate and contemplate that are destructive things, thoughts in your mind. But then the mind, and that part of your mind's got to die. The Bible says we put to death carnal thoughts, so we, we learn to mortify those. But then the part of your mind can be renewed, Romans 12 and 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let me help you with that. Many of you are familiar with this, others are not. The word transformed there uh, is actually the word that we find. It's like metamorphia, of something of that nature in the original language of Greek but it's from what we get metamorphosis. And when you think of metamorphosis, typically we think of a caterpillar and the metamorphosis that takes place when he uh, encapsulates himself in a cocoon because he crawls in, but he flies out. Now, I want you to think about that because when you get your mind renewed, you may be crawling, dysfunctional, broken, just barely making it, but when you get your mind renewed in the Word of God and you start thinking like God wants you to think, man, I'm about to preach myself happy despite the lack of amen from this, but it's because I know of the change that can be worked in your life and in my life as well when I put the Word in my heart. So what we have with the Scriptures is, let me share with you for a moment about the Scriptures. We have in the Scripture historical records many times. They're historical in nature. They're not, there are parables recorded. There's po- poetry recorded in the Word of God. But they're just simply historical records, the same as if you were in a collegiate class and you had a book on the history of these United States, and you'd say, well, this is a historical record. Well, that's, there's a lot of historical things that have been recorded in the Scripture. but here's the the thing. It's not just a history lesson. It's not just a historical book. It's got the breath of God attached to it. It's God breathed. And so, with that written record, it carries this life or this pneuma of God, the life of God. So there's a prophetic witness that speaks to our lives when we read it. How ironic is that when we read, we're doing more than just learning. We're being empowered. The life of God. When you and I learn to hear the voice of God in the narrative, how many know that's very important? Remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, he that hath, come on, ears so do what? To hear, then let him what? hear so when you learn to hear his voice in the narrative then you learn to see something that relates to you which is very important because you want to find yourself you learn to identify with the text you're saying god i know there's a historical record we're reading about ancient figures we're reading about men and women who lived life and their record is in front of us they were human they were of like passions the bible says just like we are but i'm going to identify with them because god's going to breathe on the text and god knows what i'm going through god knows my season of life god knows my situation and the spirit of god quickens something out of the text that feeds my spirit right when i need it the most Right, And gives me a thought in my mind, and I begin to change my perspective because I was, I was thinking one way previously, but now I'm thinking another because I got his word in my heart my mind. And it lifted my countenance, Right, and then I began to be able to function the way that God wants me to function. So we heed the word, we muse upon it, we gain faith to act upon it, and it creates hope in our heart and our lives. If I respond to it accordingly, the hope the Scripture promises can be mine. And as I've identified with the text, you remember what the psalmist David said? He said, His word is a lamp unto your feet. It's a light unto your path. It directs your steps. God directs you through the revelation of His word. And so one of our great struggles in life, as I begin to transition towards the text, One of the great struggles in life is for you and i to discover our true identity as individuals our true identity what do i mean by that just real quick because i think this is important that you kind of be aware of this as we begin to unfold this text what i'm talking about identity is who you are and what you were created to be or who you were created to be because more we've been marred by the image by the presence of sin i shared with you last week that the scripture says God sent Jeremiah, God speaks to us through prophetic images, and God sent the prophet Jeremiah to a potter's house as he was prophetically speaking to the people of Israel. And this is what the Jeremiah observed. He said, I observed the, the clay in the hands of the potter, and it was being molded on the potter's wheel, and then it became marred. It, was, it suddenly became something that was not in the mind and the intention of the potter. But it said this, but then the potter molded it and made it or shaped it into another vessel. And so it's, how many know it's important that we stay on the potter's wheel, right? Because yes, we, our lives have been tainted and marred by sin, by our decisions, by our poor decisions, or perhaps what others have done to us and we've been crippled or, or we've been affected by what others have done to us. But that's not your true identity. You're more than what's happened to you. God has a divine destiny for you. I know that's a big preacher's word that we use, but it's true. God had good things in mind when he created you and formed you. And so oftentimes our past, unfortunately and tragically, determines our identity. Our future is often hindered or linked to our past. Happens in our culture today. Someone goes to prison, they were a felon. Whatever the case, they'll come out. That, that, that label will always be with them in our judicial system, our culture, correct? But let me tell you, how many know God doesn't look at you the way that the judicial system looks at you? Right? See, God has the ability to take what was and put it away and recreate until it arrives at the place that he intended for it to be. And that's the way it can be about your life. And God's Word is a, is a promise, and, and God's Word promises things about our future. You and I have to find our identity in Christ, and then we find, and we do that through the Word. We do that as we, as we, get, as we, as we learn, as we're taught the Word of God. That's why we are a church family, that we teach the Word of God. Because we see the life that it contains and its ability to alter your life till you become the person that God has called you to be. Now, in doing so, as we get ready to, to get into this text, let me say one last thing. When I've just thought about the Scriptures, there are times God, just, God demands things of people in the Scriptures. Things that seem odd to us. Uh, Let me give you a a little bit of an example. And so I try to identify with some of those in my own personal life. God would demand things. God would would put an expectation to release his power. Oftentimes to release the power of God demands a reaction from the individual that needs the power of God in their life. Jesus himself was, how many of you know Jesus could have healed the blind man by the pool without spitting in the dirt? He had healed countless people by just his word. I mean, one brother said, Lord, don't even come to my house, just speak the word, and my servant will be made whole. But for whatever reason, Jesus cleared his throat, spit in the, in, the, in the soil, and made a clay or a paste, put it on a blind man's eyes, and told the blind man to go to the pool. Find his way. We've been beside that pool. We've been there when we were in Israel. Find his way through the narrow corridors of, of Jerusalem and find the pool and wash. The prophet said to Naaman, Naaman, you want to be clean? Go dip in the river of Jordan seven times, not one time, two, three, four, five, or six, not the rivers of Damascus, not in the Galilean Sea, but you go where the prophetic word is and you do what the prophetic word demands. And when you do what the prophetic word demands and you identify with you, then how many of you identify with it, how many of you know it can release the power of God in your life? And I'm with you I'm 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 bearing witness with this. I do something every Sunday. I've told you this before. Why do I do this? I'm identifying with the priest of old. I do it privately down here. I'm going to do it for you right now just to show you. Because in a few moments, I'm going to put a demand on some of you. If you'll follow through with this today and it gets down in your spirit, I believe life can be released inside you. I come to the front of this assembly every Sunday while you're like this, worshiping God. And I take this anointing oil and I anoint my head. I anoint my right ear. I anoint my thumb. I add this one. I don't touch my shirt because I don't want to put oil there and keep it there. But I, I do this right here, and then I go down, and I mark my shoe over, not my pinky toe, the one that went to market, <laughs> the one that you hit the dresser on, and then you weren't sanctified for a moment, <laughs> but the big toe. Now, why in the world with Pastor Brown? There are some among us that know. Because the priest of old was anointed on his head, anointed on his right ear, anointed on his right thumb, and he was anointed on his right toe. And I do that because I said, God, when I see in the narrative of Scripture how you put an anointing on the priest of old, God, and I'm a priest in this house, I want the anointing of God on my life. So I'm identifying with it every week. I do it every week. And the reason why I'm saying that is, is, is that became real to me and I act upon it. If this message becomes real to you today, then you need to be prepared to act upon it. All right, let's go a little bit farther. A famine. 2 Samuel chapter number 21. This is towards the end of David's life. David has, has had a successful kingdom uh, you're familiar with David's story. We I can't go back and preach uh, the second king of Israel, the kingdom taken from Saul, given to David. David has governed. There was that moment of failure, certainly with the Bathsheba. David has had issues to deal with. But David's heart was always pliable before the Lord, wasn't it? How many know, even when you make mistakes, if you keep your, pl- your heart pliable before God, willing to repent, willing to be transparent, willing to... To, to assume what you need to assume, want, willing to defer what you need to defer. And so it says that there was a famine in the land for three years, in the days of David, for three years. Now, what that means is, when it, and then he said this, he said it was year after year. So, so that meant for the first year that they would have, the famine would have started to have a little bit of effects on the land. And, and the people would have contemplated and thought, well, it's just seasonal. Maybe it's just, just kind of a dry season. This particular. I mean, no, just life, there's dry seasons at times. And then the second famine, well, certainly then life got a little better. The second year of the famine, excuse me. When you see the word famine, I'll, I'll connect to that. Famine is typically a result of drought, especially in the land of Israel, especially in the southern kingdom of Judah. Because in the northern kingdom, or that was a divided kingdom at that time, but in the northern uh, area of, of Israel, and the Galilee area, there's a lot of rainfall. There's, there's quite a, a 40-something inches of rain can fall in the northern, but in the southern kingdom, about nine inches a year. When nine inches a year are falling, you're capturing every drop, right? Because you're live, you can't sustain life. And when you go through a year that you have, you need nine inches of rain to keep your crops alive in the field, and you don't have it, and the second year, you don't get it either. Something begins to happen. You start questioning. And by the third year, David is, is discerning that something is not right. This is not just seasonal. It's not just weather-related. Now, how many know we have to be very careful to overreact to some situations? So it could have been just a seasonal thing. So David waited. He just pondered maybe this was just a seasonal thing. But by the third year, revelation was coming to him that this is more than just a dry season. There is something not at work. There's There's something at work. For whatever reason, in the heavens, how many of you know that that meant the fountain was turned off? The land of Israel, let me just tell you real quickly if you're familiar. The land of Israel, especially the southern kingdom, is depended upon the reign of heaven anybody that's ever read the book of deuteronomy knows that those words were used shame multiple times that you're not like that the, this land is not like the land of egypt it is dependent upon the reign of heaven it's got for you to have life for you to have an abundance in the fields for you to have waters flowing in the river for you to have water in the galilean sea in which to harvest fish you've got to have the reign of heaven And so, what we're seeing here as this famine progresses, what would have taken place is anxieties would have increased. The people would have been on edge. David himself would have been on edge. In lack of rain, you could experience financial ruin. You could lose your farm. You could lose your home for a simple lack of rain. You could go into debt. It could force you to relocate. There are two famous passages in Scripture where people relocated because of rain. Jacob and his sons went to Egypt because there was a lack of rain in the land of Israel. And then we also know the record of Naomi and her husband Elimelech leaving Bethlehem because of famine or drought and going to the land of Moab. So it could force relocation. And if you didn't relocate, you might starve to death. So it's hardship. All these were potential realities. If if something wasn't discovered, is there not a cause? David is discovering through prayer. He's seeking God, the heart of God. He knows after the third year there has to be a cause. Because rain was understood as divine blessing. And the drought, the drought that was produced... The, the, fam- the drought that produced the famine was the lack of divine blessing. So let's pause for a moment. That was then, this is now. What about our own lives? What a- if, if Israel was dependent upon the reign of blessing for the people to sustain a fruitful life, what do our lives look like without the fullness of God's blessing? I want you to think about it. we'll be contentious, we'll become hallowed, we'll become anxious, we'll become frustrated. We'll be doing all the work but making no progress. I mean, that's a very frustrating place to be at, especially when you can look over at the other farmer's field and you can see crops this high and cattle fat in the field and children blessed. And, you know, the the Bible tells us during the days of David earlier, God blessed the house of Obed-Edom. God can bless. How many know God can bless one while the other doesn't have the blessing of God? It can be that close side by side. And so in that moment of life, you, you, when you see others around you that are fruitful and bearing and abundance and there's joy and you're struggling and there's a lack of joy and there's a contention in your family, and your home, and rather than growing stronger, you're growing weaker. Let me tell you what you need to do. You need to do what David did. He inquired of the Lord. Don't just choose to live in it. Don't just say, well, it's the way it's always been. It's the way it's always going to be. Hmm? Come on. I, I wrote it this way. Don't you, Shouldn't you inquire of God? Should, I, I believe that you can walk in the blessing of God. I don't believe in my heart of hearts that God's blessing storehouse is running low. You know, the government sends a lot of money out today. And there will come a day, it's already its on the credit anyhow, when it's going to run out. But let me tell you, God's abundance doesn't run out. God's blessing is not it's it's always being reciprocated it's regenerative it's it's producing as he loses it as God blesses as he releases favor upon his people it's being regenerated so there's always available blessing in the kingdom of God I believe that man I get excited to think about it now let me tell you as I say this when I talk about blessing I'm not just talking about financial prosperity I believe in being prosperous as your soul prospers. But you've heard me as your pastor say, I can be blessed living in a cave. I can be blessed in a tent. Hello, somebody. It does, it's not about that. It's about peace of mind. It's about joy, right? Listen, I, there was a time when people looked down on you because you had holes in your clothing. Now you go to the, the designer store and pay $200 for a pair of breeches that are tore up. There are older folk among us that still think you are out of your mind for doing that. They hated those kind of bridges because they came from, they were hand-me-downs from their siblings. And now you're buying them at the store. So, so let me tell you, it's not just about financial resources, it's about a state of mind and a state of existence. Being blessed of God, having peace on your home and on your life. And so when David began to inquire, God answered him. And God gave him a very direct answer. And he said, it's for Saul and his bloody house because he slew the Gibeonites. So let me explain that to you if I can for just a moment. It says here that Saul sought, look at verse number 2. Saul sought to slay them in his zeal to the children of Israel and Judah. Note this, it doesn't say that Saul sought to Uh, To slay them in his zeal to the Lord, but to the children of Israel. Who were the the Gibeonites for just a moment of time? So let me put this picture together for you just real quickly. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt and were taking possession of the promised land, as they began to take the first and the second city, Jericho and Ai, Ai, as they took those cities, the other cities of the seven Canaanite uh, uh, um, tribes. They began to get nervous. They began to see. They had heard about the Red Sea. They had heard about the Jordan River. And so the Gibeonites, Gibeon is a village northwest of Jerusalem. They, and, and so that was very close to when they first crossed over in the Jordan River. So I, I can't go too deep into that, but you just got to see it. So they knew they were next in line to be destroyed. So what they did was they gathered some of their men who took their clothes. It's in Joshua chapter number 10, but they took old clothes. And they took mules and they took old leather bags on them. And they took old food and they put, made, they put their old shoes on them. And they, they made it as if they were coming from a far country. And they came to Joshua and they said, We've come from a far country because we've heard about Israel and all that God is doing and about your God. And we want you to make a covenant with us. Now Israel had been forbidden by the Mosaic law from making a covenant with the people. But once they agreed to make a covenant and spare their city, the cities of the Gibeonites, which were their three or four cities of the Gibeonites, then the scripture says that they were bound by that oath. How many to believe covenant is very important in the eyes of God? Very, very important in the eyes of God. And so as they made this covenant and gave up, they discovered that they weren't from afar, but they were near. And when they did, but because they had already given the oath, God expected the Israelites to honor the oath. So what Joshua did, Joshua said, you're going to be hewers of wood and drawers of water for the tabernacle. So they would always give certain of their, of their sons and possibly of their daughters to serve the tabernacle. And so the Bible says, and so yet they continued till they weren't destroyed, they continued to live in the land of Israel. And so when this happened, so after many years, we see this narrative in Scripture now, Saul and his zeal for the children of Israel Sought to slay them. As a matter of fact, God Himself said it was his, of his bloody house. He broke covenant. So Saul, we know Saul, the first king of Israel. But think about for just a moment, Saul, are y'all out there for a second? We got the image. I want you to get the picture image. Saul's zeal was often a misguided appeasement for the people. When we see this, what happened here, it says that he sought to slay. There's no record of it in Scripture. I'll give you one possible uh, uh, situation that might have been, one possible theory. But when we think about Saul, we think about Saul displaying jealousy. Envy, anger, wrath, bitterness. He was troubled by a demon spirit. Saul, in his frustration, turned to witchcraft. He lost all control. Saul was dominated by fear. And at times, he was bitter against even his own family members. That's who Saul had become. He started out good, but he became someone that the enemy got great stronghold in his life. Saul fell in battle on Mount Gilboa. 1 Samuel chapters 30 and 31 records the final days of Saul. His body was decapitated by the Philistines and taken along with his son's bodies back to the house of Dagon, their god, and nailed or fastened to the wall in their in the temple of Dagon. And so then the Bible says, when the men of Jabesh Gilead found out about it, they arose and went all through the night, through the night, and they burst into the temple of Dagon and they took the body of Saul and they brought and his sons back to, to uh, I think, Kadesh, or I can't remember where it says it. Maybe it's recorded here in scripture, some particular village. And the Bible says that they burned their bodies took their bones, and they buried them under a tree. And that's what that tree is over here for us today. Because I know you, some of you are thinking, the decor, there's pretty good folks here, but the decor is lacking at First Assembly. But it's got a purpose for being here today. So they were buried, their bones were buried under the tree, and, and then they mourned for Saul. And that's the way it stayed for many, many years. David, for the rest of David's, or, or as David saw, became the king and for his reign. So David now, when he's got a word from God, when he's got a word from God, he's seeking for atonement with the Gibeonites. So he must have journeyed to Gibeon, and he sat down with the men in a council, and he began to talk with them. And when they talked, they arrived at a controversial decision. How many of you know it's very morbid? It's very hard when you read this text of Scripture, isn't it? In your mind, you contemplate and say, how, how can that be? And so the Gibeonites said, we don't want any gold. We don't want you to put any man to death in the land of Israel, but we want you to take seven men, the descendants of Saul, and bring them back to us, and we will hang them up in Gibeah before the Lord to see if God will be entreated for the land. How many know that's a very tough passage? It's kind of controversial. Theologians disagree on the right application of it some commentators believe that the seven were chosen arbitrarily but did you know that some jewish commentators believe that they were chosen because they had been a part of the persecution of the gibeonites so i want you to think about that for a moment of time because on the surface we call it blood retribution but, but it's possible, listen to this, so let's put this picture together because here in a moment we're going to begin to act on it. So I want you to see this, three years of famine, no rain, people are on the edge of starvation, they're having to import their goods and services just to keep alive, tensions are high all the way to the, David's palace. How I many you know it will eventually find you? Right? The drought and the famine. David could be insulated from it only to a degree, but it will eventually even find him. So he's determined to act on it. And so we've got a famine. Now he sought God. God said, here's the reason. It's because Saul and his bloody house, in his zeal to appease the children of Israel, he sought, he did slay, he murdered many, not just Saul him personally, but his descendants, his household. They murdered many of the Gibeonites. They broke covenant that had been spoken. God's a God of covenant. He's always been, and he's always going to be a God of covenant. And so they had breached covenant, and so now they've got a a recourse. They've got a a course of action that they can take. It seems brutal to us, uh, but we want you to search out seven men. And here's what the Scripture tells us, that David chose seven men. We saw the record. I can't go over every one of them about their lives and the history of their lives. But David did choose to not kill Mephibosheth. One Mephibosheth was hanged before the Lord. But the famous Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, was spared. Why? Because David kept covenant. Man, that's a word right there. I better stay on that or not, not go there. But so with this, here's the thought, though. I want you to try to put this together. So for just a moment... It's possible, I can't say it is is, is probable, it is possible that the men were chosen because David searched out and found out that these seven actually participated in the persecution of the Gibeonites and slaughtered them. Some even think that they chose to slaughter the Gibeonites, Saul and his henchmen, because Saul saw them aligned to the tabernacle because of their service to the tabernacle. Does anybody remember the narrative in Scripture when Saul gave word to kill all the priests? at nob so there's so he's got a zeal for the house of israel but he's not walking in alignment to the will of god so it's very brutal and so when they found this out they turned these men over to the gibeonites and the gibeonites put them to death and hanged them up and so if what i've told you is true it's more than just blood retribution but you know what it was it was capital punishment because these men had been murderers themselves, and now they're in, the, in that culture, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If you shed innocent blood, then your blood will be shed. And so these men are hanging over the pool in Gibeah. And so real quickly for a moment time, they were put to death at the beginning of barley harvest. That's what the Scripture says. Are you all out there? So we're following this. We're going somewhere. I'm going to narrow very quickly here. Barley was the first grain to be harvested. It doesn't mean the famine was broken, but it meant that it was on the edge. I wrote it this way, pun intended. It was literally their harvest and their future was literally hanging in the balance. Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, a concubine of Saul, a mother of two of the men that had been chosen, did something here. Now I want you to see, because I'm going to start to narrow this and make this applicable to you. We read that in the text, that she then, while these, I you've got to get the image for just a moment. The pool, it's a 35-foot deep pool. In, this, in, the, in the community there, Rizvah goes, and there's seven men that she knows, all of them, two of which are her own, that she bore to Saul himself. She was a concubine of Saul's. Remember the theater of your mind, are you all out there? You're picturing this in your mind. Blood retribution or capital punishment, they're hanging there day after day. Risva, on the surface, presumably, a mother mourning for her son. Absolutely, Obviously, that's accurate. Day after night, that she would drive away the fowl, and she would watch in mourning, sitting on sackcloth. Actually, she had become... She's actually popular in folklore. Did you know that? You can Google search RISPA and you'll find books that have been written about the testimony of when she guarded the seven men that were hanging over the pool. Now, it was, But as I read this several years ago, I saw something a little bit different. And this is where I'm going to say this is where the breath of God is to your life today. I didn't say to this church as a whole, but I'm saying to you personally and to, co- to, to tie into this series that I've been preaching about brokenness and about being healed and about putting your past behind you on the surface it seems honorable what Risfa did she was a grieving mother she bewailed and she bemoaned the death of her sons but I want you to see when David heard about it David did something a little bit different the first thing that David did when he heard about it was he went let me get my basket I gotta have some help here today. I told you it was a visually aided message. So, David went all the way back to the town where the men of Jabesh Gilead had buried the bones and he exhumed the bones. Now, these obviously are not bones. (laughs) Obviously. This is PVC pipe to help you see. But, But you gotta picture this in your mind. How many know exhuming a body is not a pleasant task? But how many of you know before sometimes you can be healed of something, you've got to dig up some things that have been present all along? Are y'all out there today? And he took the, he, they went through the messy, difficult task of digging up the bones of Saul and his sons that had been buried underneath the tree. And then he took the bones of the seven men that were hung. And then David went to the burial chamber of Kish, the father of Saul, and he took those very bones. I will need my towel, Mom, because nobody's going to be praying for them after I dig in the dirt here. And he took the bones, and he threw some of the bones, threw the bones right there, placed them there. Now, it would have been most likely a stone sepulcher. I understand that. But that was a lot more work for Sherry and I. So we chose this route. So, but I want you to see this. It's very important. He took the bones and he took the bones of Saul, Saul's three sons that perished with him on Mount Gilboa, and Saul's seven sons that were hanging. And he opened the grave and he buried them and he covered them. And he said, Rispa, give me your mourner's cloth. And he took Rispa's mourner's cloth away from her. And as if he said prophetically, and I want you to hear this, we're going to mourn no more. The days of Saul are finally over. The pain of the past, the failure of the past generation is not going to trouble our future from this day forward. Our kingdom is being affected. Families are suffering, not because of anything we did, but because of what somebody else did generationally ago. And David said we're not, he had a word from God. It was messy to dig it up. It was controversial to take seven living men and hang them up in front of the pool. But when he had a word from God, he knew that God demanded it. And he went and he opened up the grave, put the bones in, closed it back over. And he said, God, we need you to bless the land of Israel. And the Bible says that after that was accomplished, God heard entreated, was entreated, heard the prayers of the people. Now, Pastor Brown, what are you talking about here today? I want you to know that you and I, often in our lives, that we have got to deal with, we have got to sometimes exhume, and we've got to be willing to expose some things that we need to in order to gain the healing that God has for us. But let me tell you and go one step further than that. But as we do so, our intent is to deal with it to the degree that it's no longer going to dictate our future. We're not going to always be identified by what happened to us or what we did to others. But we're going to have a new identity found in God. Come on now. A new day is about to dawn. A new season. It's the beginning of harvest. We're going to do all the king commands. Because we, if God says forgive, if the king says forgive, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to forgive. If the king says dig it up, I'm going to dig it up. But if the king says bury it once and for all, I'm going to bury it once and for all. How many of you know today the king told you to forget those things that are behind Did y'all know that? The king said, forget those things that are behind. I want you to press on toward the prize of the mark of the high call of God that's in Christ Jesus. Others hurt you, wounded you, abandoned you. They abused you. But let me tell tell you today, I want you to know that God is redemptive in nature. And God will take all of that as long as you're in the hands of the potter. And he will mold you and shape you and form you. And you can be an entirely different person. Not bound to the pain of the past. But you'll be who God's called you to be. Delivered with a testimony to help others. So I wrote a few notes. I said, what things in your life are still hanging for others to see that you form identity with? What bones are not properly buried? What things need to be properly put away? What hurt? What pain? What failure? What abuse? What crime? Are you the victim or did you victimize others? Whether you're on one side of that or the other, let me tell you today, the blood that was shed on the tree is able to forgive and to deliver both the uh, the abuser and those that were abused. That's how gracious and good our God is. (laughs) The power of His blood. But here's the key. you got to be willing to bury it once and for all. So in saying that, that's why I simply entitled the message Bury Saul. Are y'all out there? Once and for all. Saul was a king that had been rejected. Saul was a king that had become demonized, jealous and envious, appeasing the people rather than pleasing God. Let me tell you today, when he was moved out, God moved him all the way out. But God said, I got blessing for you, but you got to do it the way I want you to do it. Let me tell you for your life as well. It's the final message. I'm coming to a close here today. In this series, there are still some things in the lives of men and women that need to be buried. I hear about it. I hear people talk about it. Things that people just have not put away. You can't be living one foot in the past and one foot in the present and have a future in front. You gotta put the past away, stand where you are, contented in God, complete in Christ, healed by the power of God, and then be willing to go forward Being made whole by the power of his grace, by the power of his goodness. Walk away. So when I said that it was honorable what Rizpah did, it was honorable only to a degree. The reason why I believe that David acted, David acted the way that he did was he said, Rizpah, we're going to mourn no more. The actions of the past are going to be put totally away and we're going to bury Saul once and for all. Because we want the abundance of blessing that could come upon our lives. But that abundant blessing might not come if we don't bury Saul once and for all. And I want you to know as I close this message here today, as I'm inviting Daryl to come back with me on the pl- platform, and I appreciate him very much, I'm telling you, there are times God demands something of you. You can't just, some, some things just don't happen arbitrarily. Are y'all out there today? I don't know how, what time it is, but you can see I'm at this point where it's going to demand something of you. I haven't preached this message in this context for 15 years. It's been tucked away in a sermon file. But I pulled it out, and I regathered it, prayed over it. But in my mind, I was remembering what it was like that first time that I preached it. And I remember the people that I can see walking to the front of the church 15 years ago, I suppose, somewhere in that range people that I knew very, very personally, people that my heart was knit together with, that I knew some things had happened to them that if they didn't deal with it, it was going to affect the rest of their life. And I watched young and old come to the front that great day, and they took out of the basket a little bone, and they wrote something on it. Today I just did it differently. Say, Pastor, is it really necessary? I can't say it's necessary, but if that's what God asked, why wouldn't we do it? Are y'all out there? And, you, and they wrote, maybe it was just abuse. Maybe it was what happened to you as a child, child horror. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. There's so many. You know that I can't. You can fold that up. Come to the front of this church, tuck it away inside a little bone here, and then have the courage to come to the front. We'll move the dirt back. We'll create a hollow place here where it needs to go. It doesn't need to be in you anymore. Are y'all? I feel Jesus. Jesus, help us here today, Lord. Help us, and we bury it once and for all never to allow it to dictate our future again never to let it affect the way that i view others or what the way that others may view me i can't control how others view me but what i can do is i can walk in the strength of how god views me isn't that what faith demands our heads are bowed and our eyes closed it's very real in here those of you that are watching online, God bless you today. The altar service is going to be removed so that you can have that time in your home. Did you know, church family, there are people because of the pandemic that haven't been coming to church. But they have made their living room a sanctuary. And they shut everything off. And they join with our, us pastors and they add their agreement. Did you know somebody watching online could be right now. Open in the grave of Kish. Getting ready to put something in. I just feel in my heart that your future can be blessed abundantly if you're willing to be honest and put some things away. I'm going to move this basket down. I'm going to ask people to pray. There's several ink pens in there. notepads. I'm going to open the altars in a moment. You're not going to be walking down in front of everybody all by yourself. But we're going to just have a general altar moment. We're just going to ask people to come forward so that if there's ease in response. If there's something in your heart, something in your heart that you say, God, I need to dig it back up one last time. One last time, because I want to put it away once and for all, once and for all. Then I want you to be courageous enough. Pastor Brown, is it really necessary? I, I, don't, I don't. I don't. You just have to decide that for yourself. God could have sent rain, but He chose not to, So they dealt with Saul in his bloody house. Naaman could have been healed in the land of Damascus, but he wasn't. Are y'all catching what I'm saying? Faith often demands a response. As a matter of fact, it's, faith always demands a response. Not really often, faith always. Faith is a verb, demands action, motion, movement, response. Some things hanging, some things buried. I don't know what things are in your life, but I do know this. I got a grave here that I believe can be symbolic. I know that's all it is. There's no magic in this container. That's not magic soil. But what it is, it's connecting to something. You connect to it. God, if you did it for the land of Israel, you'll do it for me if the kingdom moved from the kingdom of Saul to the kingdom of David, if the kingdom moved from famine to blessing, if heaven was suddenly open, the same heaven that was closed was suddenly open and blessing fell upon the people, And God, you're simply asking me to do something to deal with some things in my heart and symbolically put it away and bury it once and for all, and I can see the goodness of God upon my family, my home, or my own life personally, and I'd be willing to do that. Would you all stand up with me today? I want to ask for a few moments, church family, could we come to the altar and just kind of just worship? And the reason why I'm saying this is I don't want to put people out just as a spectacle. I'd rather just have some bodies here at the altar. And then, right here, are some things. They're notes. Even, there's a bone in the the box, so to speak. And if, you're, if we run out of those, we won't run out of paper. You just tuck it in there, and I'll cover it all. Nobody's going to see it. It's going to be put away. So, church family, this is your moment right now, isn't it? This is your moment. As we begin to worship and pray... I want to ask you to just have the freedom. The notepads are here. The ink pads are here. The box is here. Come by and get it. It's between you and God. Father, in the name of Jesus, there is a spirit of healing in the house today. There's a spirit of grace. There's a spirit of forgiveness. There's a spirit of deliverance. There's a spirit, God, in this house of re identifying. How many of you say, I want to be re identified? I need a new future. I don't want to be chained to the past any longer. So church family, for the, uh, if, you're, if, if God's doing something in your life, then you don't wait. You move right now. You grab that bone. You put it in the container. You put a note down. You write something down. You put it there. The rest of us, let's pray. The rest of us, let's just pray. Let's pray for one another in a spirit of grace and humility. Let's pray. God, I'm believing in this house for my church family. I'm going to pray with you right now. I'm believing for freedom. I'm believing that men and women, marriages, individuals, mothers, fathers, children, wherever they have found themselves in life, are going to put away some things once and for all. They're going to bury Saul and his bloody house. They're going to bury the stigma once and for all. They're going to bury their identity being linked to what happened to them as a child or what was done to them through someone else or what they did themselves to someone else. But they've since repented of it, but they, they, they've been bound and they've been limited. They, they've been tied to the past. God set them free today in the name of Jesus. God, to be made whole by the power of your word, to be all that you have called them to be. God, in the name of Jesus. God, as people have the courage to write something down and bury it. Father, as people do so, God, let there be a liberty in their hearts. Let the Spirit of God, I feel Jesus in here today, don't you, church family? Is there anything in your life that you need to bury? Is there anything, I'm asking you very directly, is there anything that you need to just come forward? You say, I want to put this away. I put it down. I cover it in Jesus' name. Ma'am, you might just take out a note out of your purse and write down something. It doesn't have to be what I've got, but the courage to come forward and to just put it there. I'm going to come back when we're finished, and I'm going to just put that dirt right back on it. Collectively, we're going to say we're burying it once and for all. Are you praying in this house? I feel the Spirit of God. I feel the Spirit of the Lord in this house today, right now. In the name of Jesus. Joe take the microphone and you come and pray for a minute. Pray over the people with me. Grab that microphone right there. And you begin to pray the, and you begin to pray over people. Pray over people to be courageous enough. Father, we love you today. Let there be healing in this house.